Welcome to the DFD podcast where we discuss all things dairy farming. This week's episode is brought to you by Suregain and Trow Nutrition and their dealer partners. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. I just wanted to wish everybody a happy new year. I know we've gone on a little bit of a hiatus here since probably the middle of December, uh, but I just wanted to wish everybody a happy new year and uh, and hope that uh, everybody got through the, uh, the holiday season there safe. So with the new year brings new beginnings and I thought the, the first podcast of the year would be uh, a great idea to have uh, Frank Luigi from Hill Manor Farms on who recently went into a new facility and I thought we'd talk about some of the things uh, the pros and cons trials and tribulations and everything that go along with building uh, planning building and executing a new barn so Frank if you want to say hi and maybe mention a little bit of what uh, what you guys are doing at Hill Manor. Uh, hi Keith uh, hi everyone uh, Frank Luigi uh, uh, on our website we call ourselves a progressive robotic dairy which uh, emphasizes animal health and uh, care of animals we've learned over by making mistakes over years that it seems to be that looking after the animals uh, to the best of our abilities is uh, ends up being the the best way to profitability uh, so besides looking besides milking cows in a robotic dairy uh, we are uh, finishing pigs and do some custom work as well. Yeah, so uh, you guys do have quite a bit going on there. And uh, I guess maybe my first question for you is, like, what, what are the main motivators to build a new facility? Like, I know you, you switched to robot about seven, eight years ago, and you guys were doing very well in the facility you had. So, you know, what are those motivators to build a new barn? Well, for sure, if we would not have switched to robots, a couple of years ago, uh, the robots for me made dairying fun. I guess they're not for everybody, but for me, uh, they made they made dairying a lot of fun. And it was because of that that I just wanted to you know keep on expanding in that direction. Cows are really nice to work with, and uh, probably the nicest thing for again for me was the um, the the potential that we can unlock inside these animals you always think you're doing a great job and then all of a sudden you uh you stumble across some new things for us it was robotics it was a, a labor situation that pushed us into, into robotics and there we were milking cows multiple times per day uh, meeting their needs like feeding them according to their production and it was amazing to see what cows mid lactation could do and you know respond to that to that uh, management strategy we we products like uh, production went up a lot and not only that our our uh, herd life like the, the the length of the cow lived in the herd went up by by over a year like we gained an extra lactation per cow uh, yeah they became yet you, you had a little bit extra time then to also look after their needs a little bit better uh it always seemed that milking kind of got in the way or it ruled the day and and uh, with milking looked after you could the first thing on your agenda every day then could be one of those tasks that always got pushed down to the end hoof trimming uh, whatever etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Yeah, and just like other than like I know that you were really used to working with a AMS facility, but what really drove the decision to to Greensite? And maybe let's preface this a little bit. You were milking with three uh, A4s in a barn yeah. built in the early to mid nineties with automated feeding yeah. already, and you made the decision to Greensite on the opposite side of your property. So maybe let's walk through that a little bit and, and maybe some of the motivating yeah. factors behind that. Right. So for the last five years, uh, for the last five years, at least uh, when we kind of got used to the robots and everything was going hunky dunky dory, uh, we, we kept on looking on for ways to improve, whether it was tap into the uh, more robot, like, the untapped robot potential on the barn. Like we only had a 125-ish cows, 135-ish cows, milking through three robots. So we could have fit a few more cows in that barn if we would have kicked the dry cows out. So well, then where do we put the dry cows? And and our calf nursery needed work. And by the time, every time we went through a scenario where we could fix up, you know, a small, use a, go through a small project to fix up some of the weak areas, it always ended up being way too many dollars. The tank was too small, feed storage was too small, manure storage was too small, and it was always a million bucks or so to add 20 cows. And that just didn't make any sense. And so finally I could hear my banker saying, you know, new barns really aren't that expensive. Maybe you should be building a new dairy barn and leave your heifer facility, leave your dairy barn to your heifers. And uh, so it was a little bit of a big, for us to swallow to build all new bunker silos all new manure storage and uh, and build a facility that's probably another third larger than what we need at the moment uh, but uh, yeah I have faith in the industry and uh, it's a very labor efficient building it's a very uh, uh, so far as we moved in, the feed efficiency has been great as well, or and it continues to improve. I think mostly due to comfort. Yeah, and so what? At, at what point did you decide just to you know swallow that pill and pull the trigger on on the green site? Well, a couple of meeting, a couple of meetings with bankers and a couple of meetings with uh, accountants, and uh, it was two years ago in an airport where I finally, or two and a half years ago in an airport with a bottle of beer in my hand watching a soccer ball, a soccer game, I decided that, well, maybe I need to uh, open my mind to the concept. Cause I actually, I'd always pushed it out. I said, no, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense to build a new facility. That's just silly talk. But uh, uh, finally I said, well, maybe I need, maybe I owe it to myself to examine the possibility of doing that. After I toured a couple of facilities and saw what was possible and, and how it opened the potential of what the cows could do even more, uh, then, I, then we started walking through some of the math and whether or not this, this was pay like did it make sense on paper? Yeah, and, and I guess and it did. Yeah, and I guess for the listeners out there, so can you maybe explain uh, what you built, like your barn and, and some of the technologies that you incorporated? Oh, I. So I, uh, we built a six-row, uh, six-row uh, so perimeter feed robot barn with four robots in the center, uh, and a 
big dry cow area beside it all under one roof. Uh, a calf nursery also under that same roof and uh, a feed kitchen with a lily vector feeding out of it. I, my experience with the robots was so tremendous that I decided to uh, look very closely at the vector in the feed kitchens. And the, the most, almost all the guys that I talked to with the feed kitchens and the vectors, they loved them as much or more than the milking robots. So I said, well, I'm kind of sold on that. I went through some of the numbers on them as well. And to me, they made a lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly heavily automated, the barn. The, the, the milk on its way, the saleable milk on its way to the milk tank, it, uh, we, we can tap out of it. And uh, as it's on its way, on its way to the milk tank, it goes by the calf nursery. And we're stealing milk out of that line and feeding the whole milk to the calves in the in the kitchen or in the uh, calf nursery as well yeah and so like from an industry standpoint like once you make i guess once you make the decision to to build a barn like how many uh how many barns did you tour and maybe who who in the industry was maybe also involved in the in the planning process the first probably the biggest influence i had initially was uh, I toured a barn through Indiana with 36 milking robots in it and it was a cross vent and I was blown away by the management style how the cows that were all there was a general population on the one side of the robots and it was the special needs of the management area behind the robots and I was like wow what an efficient way to manage your herd and as I walked into that barn on an August day when it was like 30 degrees and stupid humidity, it was what a wonderful environment inside that barn. I was like, oh my gosh, would I ever want to be a cow in there? Would I ever want to work in here? So I was heavily influenced by that. Uh, we decided, uh, and then we were on a tour through Quebec, looked at a couple of barns. And the last barn that we looked was pretty much exactly what I ended up building. It was a very expandable barn uh, and it was very productive, like it was pretty much exactly what I built and it was very expandable. And that, that was a, that was a key. So, so Lely, um, Avon Bank, the, the local Lely dealership, they, uh, they helped, I mean, they took me on that tour and they were able to get me the plans for that building. And after that, it was just touring some kitchens, touring some calf nurseries to uh, pull all the pieces together. Yeah, and I know I had the uh, opportunity to head to Manitoba with you to kind of look at the, I think mostly the feed kitchens. I think we were, and maybe some of the cross bending stuff, but I think you were, yeah. at that point, you were already decided you were going to build a cross bend. It was going to be robotic. And I think you were just trying to figure out whether you're not, whether or not you were going to put the uh, feed kitchen in or not. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big part of it. There were some good, there were some new calf nurseries out there that we wanted to check out. You're right, Keith. I was looking at the low ceilings in the barns and uh, the other one was the vector's ability or the kitchen's ability to deal with uh, cold. And uh, the Lord knows that they have nice cold weather out in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was kind of the deciding factor. I think when you pulled it, is you could see how you know the low roof concept worked. The vectors were working fine, 
in the cold. And uh, I think, uh, I don't know, from my perspective, I guess it was it was at that time you just said, yep, this is what we're going to do. And then the ball just seemed to roll uh, after that. So was there anything in there that you think that you should have maybe researched a little bit more uh, before you got into it? Well, we were six weeks in. Uh, I've asked, I've been asked a couple times, and I've asked some of the people around me, like the guys who work here, the herdsmen, my wife, you know, is there anything that we would change? And and some of the things that we would change are so minor that, uh, like, like a foot bath in a different area, or we see a, a, a different, like a foot bath, like a foot washing station in a different area, or they're, they're so minor, they are almost inconsequential. Uh, I'm not saying the barn is perfect, but I uh, it's pretty much exactly what I wanted. Everything is working the way that we wanted it to. That's for sure. Uh, um, any other changes? I, I'm hoping that this Lily Calf Calm from Foster Technic works out as good as promised. Uh, they, there's a lot of it's uh yeah i hope it works out as good as promised it's a well-supported machine uh but uh i i hope it works out as good as promised time will tell hope i didn't throw somebody under the bus there (laughs) (laughs) not that i care about (laughs) so maybe walk us through the nursery because i know like you were mob feeding before so my I, I am I am, and my wife is, we're big believers in group housing for calves. I think it's more of a natural thing. There's lots of research that shows uh, that group feeding calves, uh, and, and, and group can mean two as well, but group feeding calves has a lot of benefits to the, to the health of an animal and, and the overall development of the animal. Uh, and if you... If you want to be really critical about it, if you think about putting a calf in solitary confinement, it could be bordered on cruel and uh, and not a very nice thing to do to an animal, uh, to put them in a single solitary pen by themselves. Uh, But there's all sorts of research that shows that raising animals in groups is beneficial and and cows are a social animal. So we we wanted to do that. we were mob feeding calves before, but it was acidified milk out of a barrel. Uh, I sometimes wonder if the uh, the three extra zeros on the investment, uh, well, the, the new investment versus the old investment. I mean, I, I think we had, yeah. I think we had, I think we had sixty dollars of equipment. <laughs> yeah, the, the acidified milk. Yeah, but there was, uh, it, it worked well. It required a lot of management. Uh, and, it, and it was a lot, and it was a bunch of work in, in cleaning stuff and making, making sure stuff was clean all the time. Uh, and so we were hoping to get away from all the manual cleaning. And we were hoping to get some measured information on what some of the intakes were like. I mean, you put a bunch of calves on a, on a feeder and, you don't know for sure if that calf drank tonight or yesterday or like how much she actually did drink. So we were hoping to get some heads up on intakes and maybe get a little bit of uh, proactive information on uh, a calf 
see a calf getting sick before it actually got sick. And uh, we did examine, we did visit a couple of calf nurseries, uh, Van Englands and uh, uh, Mark over here, and uh, the, the Cam and Steph Towers. And there was a, and, and uh, oh, who's the other guys across there? Gordon, Gordon's, Gordoners, Gordon? Yeah. Gordon's, yeah. And, and a lot of what we heard there was, you got some really good information that helped you see stuff becoming a problem before it became a problem and uh, and proactively treat the calf with uh, with with uh, with supportive therapies instead of having to rely on antibiotics which is truthfully it's uh, you failed already at that point mm-hmm. and uh, you you're it's a band-aid or yeah you you failed at that point already so that's what we're striving to do is is to uh, head things off before they go down south um, so that would probably be the only thing that we are still working with, and and I hope it works as good as we believed it would. I think that's with anything with group housing when it comes to calves too, is that from what you came from to what you're going into is such a huge step and such a huge learning curve. It just takes a lot of time to get used to it. Like I know I talked to one of my producers about uh, – their calf barn and they said they were like two to three years in it before they finally got the ventilation where they liked it for instance okay. so I, th- I think it's just a i think it's just a learning curve i know like you already had a good idea of how to use automated feeding uh for cows and robotic milking and things like that so i think your big learning curve right now would be your your calf side of things yeah i i think so too i uh I've been in a couple of barns lately again with similar feeders and they said, oh yeah, no, they, they've learned a couple of tricks along the way to make things go a lot smoother. So, of course, they'd have to meet my wife's high standards because she's a calf lady and, I mean, I've already met her high standards. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yeah. have to ask you a question, Keith. I'm curious. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else can see this, but are you wearing any pants? <laughs> I uh, I'm still dressed, Frank. <laughs> okay, right. Sorry, sorry for the side. Yeah, <laughs> and I am yes, I am wearing pants. Uh, okay. So outside of the like what you've learned with the calf stuff, maybe what would be your other biggest challenge with the overall build? I guess like if you start from the planning process, think about you know site excavation, building equipment installation, all those things. Yeah, um, everything went pretty much according to plan i worked with good i worked with what i felt were good contractors i knew they knew my expectations from the get-go we had a timeline fairly well hammered down and had real i felt they were i knew they were realistic goals because i knew that they had done their whatever they had been whatever they achieved they had done it already Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I knew I could expect that from them. Uh, I am, this is the first building that I was not the general contractor for. So I, ha- and we have done a bit of building already in the past. So I was fairly, I was on top of everything all the time too, making sure that stuff, little things didn't get left behind. Yeah. I was going to ask you that uh, about the, about the general contractor. Cause I know, 
it's not something I guess that uh, maybe I see a lot of in farm country and, and maybe I'm not sure if it, if it's needed, but what were the, some, maybe some of the benefits you, you got, you feel like from the gen, from having a general. Well, yeah. So the, the general contractor was for the building and the building only. I still ran the bill. Like I, I negotiated the building of the bunker silos and the manure pits. And then I made the deals with the milking equipment, et cetera. But, but for sure, I knew that a lot of those people had worked together already on projects in the area and they already had a well-established chain of communication. Uh, yeah, and I just, I, I had set timelines and said, well, this has got to be done by this time and this has got to be done by that time and let everybody know the expectations. They, as far as the, but, but as far as the general for the building, this was such a complicated building uh, as far as, you know, um, there was no way I would have met the timelines because now there's, I think there's like five different engineers involved. Uh, like we have the, the site engineer, there were electrical engineers to design the fire systems, the structural engineer, the truss engineer. Oh, there's gotta be another one I forgot somewhere. But just getting everybody together on the same page and working together and making sure that everybody met their obligations and it all intermeshed. That was a, it was a big deal. And I don't think I, I would not have been able to pull it off myself. Yeah, I guess with that. So what was the biggest surprise that you had throughout the whole project? Oh, that we came in on budget. <laughs> That's a good surprise to have. <laughs> I know like, yeah. I know like throughout the year, um, you know, just talking to you over over the time as the build was going on. Yep, it's on time and it's on budget. Yep, it's on time and it's on budget. And I'm like, am I are my ears dirty? Like, am I <laughs> this build is on time and on budget? <laughs> yeah, and and I, I don't know. And we also got lucky with our summer. We had a lucky winter last winter, and uh, like Wilhelm's locally, they uh, Wilhelm's locally, they were able. They foresaw an early spring and so they strongly suggested stockpiling gravel on site yep. so that we could uh so that we could uh, uh start before half load season was over and we yeah. were able to and uh because the site is reachable from a highway we were able to bring concrete in through march and april when half load season was on so we were able to yep. start early uh, and then we were we were really fortunate with an awesome summer. Uh, the crane would show up. Uh, the crane would show up, and there'd be no wind for ten days. And the it was just, it was just everything was working in our favor. Can't always be unlucky. No. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're, I know you're just two months in, and maybe this is maybe a more of a question for later on down the road. But uh, looking back. Um, what would you rethink or maybe do differently? If I could have done this, if I would have known this five or 10 years ago, I would have done this five or 10 years ago. If the yeah. but, but I would not have wanted to give up the technology in lieu. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. If the technology was there 10 years ago and cross fence and all that was there 10 years ago, I wish I would have done this 10 years ago. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a very technologically advanced barn, I guess, between, you know, the automated milking, automated calf feeding, 
vector, your fan system, like your ventilation system, if maybe you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there, because it's quite interesting. Yeah, so we, uh, if, you, if you go to the best lab test on the University of Illinois uh, and you uh, use the filters to filter out the most efficient, just take the most efficient fan that there is for CFM per watt, and there's only one name that comes up. And uh, they make a very quiet fan. Uh, I, I don't know for sure. A, a little bit of this is, uh, I mean, I don't have a summer of experience to know exactly what the hydro bills will be, but mm. the amp readings on the fans are showing that they are are not drawing a lot of electricity, that the, the draw on them is really low and that we are supposed to be able to get the cooling in here that we need for for I'm figuring roughly about ten percent more than all the basket fans that were in our other barn. Yeah, uh, so that's pretty amazing. Without without the airplane taking off in the barn, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it's there. You can have a conversation beside these fans, Dax fans. Uh, out of Norway, three phase, an airplane propeller. They're low RPM. And uh, yeah, their CFM per watt is amazing. No shutters on them, which is a an energy pig as well. It's 10 to 15 percent energy loss from shutters. They all have a, a door on them, and I I put extra fans in. I spent a couple of bucks up front, and instead of putting in the minimum 30 fans, I put 36 fans in. I think or 34. I put a few extras in so that I could spend more time not at maximum RPM, which was you start to lose some efficiency at the maximum RPM. Yeah, I know you mentioned like the fans like going to run its most efficiently at what that 70% rate at 70%, or something like that. Yeah. I, think, I think we're moving 30,000 CFM with two watts of, uh, with two watt, no, 200 watts, sorry, 200 watts of electricity. Uh, and then there's uh, lots of there's about 250,000 cubic feet of air per minute allowed in through the ceiling inlet. And when that is met, then the curtains start opening up at about nine degrees outside air temperature. So uh, then, there, then there's a series of curtains that drop down over the, or a series of baffles that drop down over the stalls. Once we get the air exchanges going, that's one thing, but then we're starting to then we're starting to look for cooling effect after that, yeah. and the and the and driving the baffle or the baffles drive the air down in between the cows and make sure that the air stays where the the, the air movement is where the cows are. Well, that's good, Frank. Is there any advice or thoughts that you might want to give some producers who are you know sitting right here at the final stages of their planning and maybe getting ready to start building in the spring? I hope to book your lumber before. I mean, everything worked for us according to my schedule, but I did have a backup plan at every stage. We kept on examining the schedule, and if it all of a sudden would have started raining for two months and construction or COVID stopped, COVID stopped us, there was a backup plan. We always made sure there was at least one or two backup plans if this thing got delayed by two or four or even six months 
about that's about the only thing I could like we kept on examining where we were putting the feed because we had to plan where we stored the feed according to when our startup date was going to be and we always tried to make sure that we always kept on examining that does this make sense to do this I planted extra acres of hay and extra acres of corn silage the year before so we could put extra at each site and yep. because the because the move-in date it's it's uh, it ain't over till it's over and you never know until you move in for sure but yeah it was just make sure you have backup plans that's all well frank i really appreciate you coming on the dfd podcast and uh um good luck with the new facility and uh stay safe out there take care Thanks again for listening to the DFD podcast. If you would like to have further discussions about the topics we talked about on this show, please contact me, Keith Schweitzer. I have left my contact information in the show notes. I would also like to say thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Nogueira. For future updates on topics and guests, please follow me on Twitter, at Keith Schweitzer.